man. So I do have a story that I was like, I, I got to mm-hmm. tell AJ this because I think he'll appreciate it. So we're reading again that Bible story for uh, Lent, right, with the girls and asks a question. And so the story oh, okay. was about, I think it was like the the Sermon on the Mount. And it was basically summarized in that Jesus was telling us that we have to um, love God and and follow his rules and we'll be happy that way. Uh, you know, so it took the Sermon on the Mount and summarized it in three sentences. But in the end there, they asked, okay, what is the way that we are happy w- with God? And so, you know, the answer is, you know, we love him and we follow his rules. And then Kristen kind of looks up and says, perfectly framed with the question, man. <laughs> Just because like, what is the, <laughs> what is the way to be happy with God? And this is the way. And, <laughs> and I was like, it took me a second to build too, like, and then I was like, ha ha ha! Oh my god, that's funny! <laughs> and this is why we keep our helmets on at all times. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was that is fantastic. Oh, it was fan freaking tastic, man! I I love it. <laughs> oh, man, oh, that's beautiful. So, all right, let's uh, let's let's hit an intro and jump into it, man. Welcome to the podcast, Blue Collar Scholars. Not long ago, a group of brilliant minds met together at a pub to discuss their unfinished works. They recognized the value of coming together around delicious beverages and having meaningful conversations. That group was known as the Inklings. The Inkledoo podcast here, we're working to be the second iteration of that group. So pour yourself a craft beverage, pull up a chair, and join the conversation. All right, you had anything good to drink lately? I guess, do I need to reframe this question for Lent so I'm just not asking you the same thing and then you answer me, well, I'm not really drinking anything. Well, you know, I think in the future it'll probably be all right. Uh, Like, so the really actually the bigger issue I think this time than even Lent is that since I'm not sure I'll be home for our normal night to record on this week, it's actually only been three days. (laughs) Yeah, that is a good point. (laughs) So... Yeah, honestly, on this one, um, still drinking our coffee in cold brew form, finding that mm-hmm. very nice as mm-hmm. always. But uh, yeah, yeah, I try to make it seem like I always have this interesting stuff, but really, I just kind of do it all at once and then spread it out over a long period of time. <laughs> there we go. So, like, I I'm having the red trolley from Carl Strauss. Mm. Have you have you had that one? I have not. Have you, have you heard of Carl Strauss? I have, yeah. I've heard good things about okay. him. But... Yeah. So this red trolley is the one that kind of put him on the map. It's in amber. And on the the neck of the bottle, it says hints of, or notes of toffee, caramel, and dried fruit. Mm, okay. And that is like the perfect description of it. So it it's an amber. It's kind of toasty. It's where you get that toffee. It's really sweet where you get the caramel and then the finish is it's almost like almost like raisin like it's got this dried fruit to it okay and it's it's probably one of the most flavorful ambers i've ever had like it is it's really really good and and uh, and ambers have kind of been your jam yeah yeah well in the past i mean i know it not yeah not so much lately like there's been a lot of branching out from you, which again, very proud. Um, but like as someone who kind of started really enjoying with Amber's, mm-hmm. like that's a strong statement. Yeah, I think so, man. It, it, this one, every time we go to, to Oceanside, we, we usually hit up some sort of Carl Strauss, some form, whether mm-hmm. we, if we get dinner there and take some to go, you know, take some uh, to go beers or, this time we did, we've started doing Walmart pickups. So like, we'll just, the stuff that we know is stupid expensive in California, we'll bring with us. Sure. But then like some of the basic things that doesn't really matter, we'll just do a Walmart pickup. And I was like, oh, they have Carl Strauss at Walmart. I'll just get it there, you know? And then. <laughs> yeah, seems like the move. Uh, yeah. So it's, if you, if you can find the red trolley, it's worth it, man. It Noted. is It is very good. So. Very um, cool, man. I'll, I'll, I'm definitely. I will add that to my list of things to get post Easter. Yeah, yeah, yes. And you know what? I just had this revelation mm-hmm. as uh, 
I'm going to use that as a segue. <laughs> but yeah, I, I caught that. I caught that. <laughs> all of, all of our show. So for for everybody who knows, we're having some technological difficulties, <sighs> and so our show notes are on Google Drive, and I'm using my phone, so I'm going to have to kind of wing it a little bit. <laughs> So, so I I don't have the outline in front of me, but I, I'm I think I I think I can handle it all right. But we're we're still talking about saints, yeah. And we went we talked Paul, Peter, and now we thought that John would be a good one. I wanted to actually bring up John. I just finished reading his gospel, mm-hmm. and uh, it's one of my favorites, to be honest. Oh yeah. Um and and I also really like John. Uh, I liked him a lot from when I started studying, uh, like the the church history when I was in in school for all of this stuff, and and John is the one who, and this is the reason why I like John or why I'm so interested in him is that one he, he was because he was the youngest, mm-hmm. he he lasted the longest, <laughs> yeah, you know, so so he he lived. And he was one of the few. I think you got on there. I didn't. I don't think I realized this, but one of the few that died a natural death. Yeah, of the twelve, uh, I, of the twelve, he's it. And actually, technically, of the thirteen, because we can go ahead and throw the original twelfth uh, one back in there. Judas. We've talked about him already. Yep. And how he yep. ended. But yeah, uh, John is the only one of the twelve, even after Matthias was added, who yeah, so- made it to a natural death. So into exile and died naturally. So so he was around for a long time. And so he's in like the church history books. And, and so like when we get into the councils, mm-hmm. you're not just talking about people who heard from people who heard from my second cousin's uncle twice <laughs> removed. Like it's John. It's John's direct mentored descendant. Mm-hmm. And then like, his descendants, direct descendant, are are drastic. Are are some of the heads in the first couple of councils? Yeah. So, like when you're looking at councils, you're like, holy crap, that's that's a big deal. These guys aren't just believers that have been around other people. No, this is a direct descendant from John to this guy who yeah. is speaking at the council, and from this guy to this guy who is speaking in the second council. And so, I found that really interesting that he he had and he was fighting heresy kind of from the not from the start but like as he got older like he was he was fighting heresy from the beginning and then we started having the councils and his descendants are fighting heresy and, and so it i found that because those first four councils are are the piece of church history that I, I really really like i really enjoy those uh and so john is a big player in that and so that's Definitely. one of the reasons why i'm super excited about him yeah, man. I mean, the the bio stuff on him is just genuinely fascinating because so uh, the gospel of John that you mentioned, I'm with you. Like talking about having a favorite gospel is one of those things you always want to be careful because there's only four. So if you list like your top three, it's pretty clear what you're saying. Um, <laughs> right. And and you really don't ever want to find yourself in the position of saying you have a least favorite gospel. Like it just doesn't. <laughs> It can be true, but it doesn't mean it should be said. But like with the Gospel of John, I I really do. I love. So the other three, Matthew, Mark and Luke, you've got these synoptic Gospels where they're largely telling the same stories. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of overlap, you know, Yeah. and they're focused on a lot of the same things. And like you said, because John is the youngest and because of him being able to kind of live out his full life his gospel is able to be written at a point where he's able to see, okay, here are the things that people are misunderstanding. Let me Mm -hmm. make this real dang clear, real dang quick. Oh, so true. And so he's got, he's got that advantage of perspective. That's not a knock on the other gospels. John's gospel almost wouldn't work on its own because it could, possibly stray too far like a swing too far the other way if it's taken apart from those other three right but yeah that's a good point no because like chapter one man john's punching like he's (laughs) he's yeah he's throwing haymakers you know like 
Um, you're talking logos and all of this stuff, like right, like boom, we're getting into it. And you're like, holy cow, okay, this is this one starts off way different than the other one. Oh yeah, yeah. And then and I like that too because you see him in it more. Uh, he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved mm-hmm. or whatever, you the know, the one disciple. Lo- and yeah. And I'm like, as the youngest sibling, you know, like I'm the youngest <laughs> one in my family. I'm like, that's such a youngest thing to do to be like, <laughs> mom and dad love me more. You know, <laughs> like there's no one here to argue with me anymore. <laughs> so, so it's such a youngest sibling thing to do, but then he, he's also like pretty genuine too. So, mm-hmm. The things that that stick out to me, like he was talking about, you know, the disciple that Jesus loved ran faster than Peter to the tomb. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, dude, you're such like, okay, we get it. But then he does say, but then he stopped and Peter stepped first into the tomb. And you're like, oh, so there Mm -hmm. there was something like, why would he go into the detail to say he stopped and Peter stepped through? Either there's an authority thing or there was a fear thing. Like... There's this really interesting dynamic that even though he does have this, you know, little brother poke, he he's still very much a part of the group, you yeah. know. And I think that there that that one verse kind of demonstrates an an either an authority to Peter or it tells a different story of, yeah, he was very ambitious for Jesus, but also maybe had some fear because he was one of the ones that ran away. Yeah, you know, at, at the when they came to arrest him, you know, he fled. Is he the one that fled naked? Yep. That's where I was going (laughs) next too. I was like, yeah, the, the beloved disciple, but also the one who at least like, so it's never specifically said that it's him, but everyone kind of, that's because he would never admit it. (laughs) Right. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, wait, so there just happens to be this dude who they grab him by his clothes (laughs) and he he gets away. Just sheds it all. I'm out of (laughs) here. Yeah, and just goes, naked. just goes screaming naked into the night, you know? Um, and, like, so there is, there's, like, a there's a humility to it from him. And also, I do think, like, when I read that spot in the resurrection account where the beloved disciple stops and Peter's the first one to go in, I think I do read it as, like, this respect and this desire to make sure it's known. Like, mm-hmm. no, no, no. Yeah. When when we talk about Peter, there's a reason he gets mentioned first. He is right. He is the rock. Like I'm not undercutting that. I was faster than him, but you know, <laughs> in a foot race, I would win. Exactly. But he's just, still, just so we're clear, he's still he's still number one. So yeah. And like the other thing too. So in general, in John's gospel, you, it's really cool getting that kind of historical insight into. Um, what were some of the first heresies? Like what were some of the first problems? And so it's really interesting to see that it seems like the big problem at the time of John is people questioning the divinity of Jesus. Yes. You know, something very yes. similar to kind of the cultural take on Jesus that we have today, like outside of the church, obviously, but like in secular communities and things where they'll describe Jesus mm-hmm. as this like, good teacher you know he's yeah he's a really good dude and he told us a lot of good stuff and he gave solid life advice it's like john clearly was hearing things not of that exact sort but that type of thing and so we see this like language you know like you said the opening to his gospel is in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god like yeah it's really in a very interesting way. It's such a step up from like Matthew opens up with the genealogy. He's like, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to take this genealogy to a whole nother level. Let's make sure we understand exactly what the starting point is here. Right. And then, you know, John's also the one who uh, leading up to the crucifixion, you know, we're in Lent. John is the one who really emphasizes the idea that Jesus lays down his life explicitly saying, no one can take it from me. I lay it down freely. Um, Hmm. And, you know, again, like the authority of Jesus and the power of Jesus is really emphasized. Like he doesn't use the word miracle. He calls them signs. Like, look, 
Mm. Don't get this twisted. This is exactly what this is. It's not just a random display of power. It's something pointing to the reality of who Christ is. And my personal favorite, one that always gives me a fit of the giggles as I'm describing it to like the, the students I teach. It's one of those things like I joke about how they haven't changed much from when I was teaching them in second and fifth grade, but neither have I. I haven't changed much <laughs> since I was teaching them in second and fifth grade. And it's like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is great. Jesus drives out the money changers in multiple gospels. But in John, he fashions a whip out of cords to drive them out. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Luke will tell you about him flipping tables and driving them out and them getting really mad. John's the one who makes sure you know, hey, uh, he didn't just like flip tables. This is not a passing flare up of holy zeal. Jesus right. sees this and is fired up enough that he takes the time to make, to make a whip with which to drive them out. And like, I can't help it. I always mimic it. Like I'm sitting up in front of the kids and I like have my like profile facing them. Like I'm looking at them from the side and I'm like with my hands, I'm acting like I'm braiding rope together and I just keep looking at them like, Oh yeah, no, no, no. It's coming. Just wait, just wait. And like, <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. And, but I mean like, Really? Think about it. Could you imagine just walking up to Jesus and he's just like mumbling Yosemite Sam under his breath, just braiding brass of brass and money changers, brass <laughs> oh, of brass and animal salesmen? It's gonna go down. Oh, they got no idea what's coming. They don't even know, Father. They don't even know. And you'd be like, "Oh, it's bad when he starts mumbling, man." Oh yeah. Oh no. All of a sudden, <laughs> even John the Beloved is taking that extra half step back from him, giving him some room. Like, but I love uh, it. Unbuttoning the cloak just in case he needs to flee. Mm -hmm. yep. Exactly. Just in case. No, no. Unbuttoning the cloak just in case he needs to flee. In case someone gets a hand on it, I can just shed this real quick. <laughs> but yeah, like it. John, oh, his. He doesn't go into the same stories and the same passages yeah, because they've already yeah. been explained. You know right. this. You know, we've already and, got, he doesn't give us the Sermon on the Mount again. Because you know what? Right. You've got to already. And I know that these have survived. These are being used throughout the various churches. Right. But here's what you guys aren't getting. When they were talking about yeah, yeah, Jesus as one of us, as our brother, as being in this with us. You guys thought they meant just that. Now, they were taking right. for granted the divine thing because he rose from the dead. But you all yeah. seem to have gotten confused. So let me make this right. perfectly clear. Yeah, I, I like that you talked about that, about him focusing on the divinity because that was, and I'm thinking about it because I watched this video of a rabbi teaching about um, Christians. Mm. Um, because of you know for whatever reason that i got clickbaited into watching it and yep. and this rabbi was talking about how not all christians are um idols worshipers or something i don't know whatever term it was for not worshiping the real god and he said so the concept of the messiah you know there have been multiple false messiahs throughout history this is mm -hmm. according to the rabbi and he's like, and you cannot fault someone for believing that this person is the Messiah and then they, that's wrong. You know, like it's hard to determine the Messiah. And so, you know, not all Christians, if the Christians believe that he was the Messiah, then that doesn't make them heretics. But if they believe that he is the son of God, then that makes them heretics or idol worship, you know, like worshiping something other than the real God. And that, that, Jewish perspective, the perspective from that rabbi makes total sense on what John would be hearing mm -hmm. in the Jewish community there. You know, there would be like after Pentecost, you can't deny the presence of Christians in Israel. Right. Like they're there now, like, and, and it's to the point that it's making everybody frustrated. <laughs> so you can't deny them. So then what you're going to start doing is start trying to explain them away. You'd be like, yeah, 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 yeah. Jesus had some cool stuff, but he was just a dude. He was a Messiah. He's dead now. Like it was a false Messiah, you know, good try guys, maybe next time, you know? Mm -hmm. And that, so that, that seems so reasonable because that's part of 
Judaism is the Messiah. And what we're saying is that, yeah, 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 that was it. But there are some things that you missed in between there, whereas the Messiah is these, you know, the son of God, not just some some person, not a prophet, just a prophet. Or, or um, I'm not completely clear on their, the the current Judaistic view of what the Messiah is. But, yeah, you know, like we have ours. And so John is saying, no, no, no. First things first. Like, yes, it is. It's evident. Everybody knows that he was alive. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody is denying the fact that he was alive. Nobody even seemed to be denying that he did a lot of the things that he did. Right. What everybody's denying, though, is how he did it. Mm-hmm. And I know how he did it because I was with him. And it's because he is the son of God. And and it's and it's clear there because he even like he hits like at the end of his gospel, he, he goes through and this this line was like so, so comforting to me. And. And it's because I, I have a, you know, that, that sense that, that this sounds stupid to say, but the sense that John was real, you know, like, because like I said, he, his direct descendants were impacting the faith. Like I, you know, like I know Peter was real. Right. Right. But like, I don't, I don't, I don't have a, any books written by Peter that I can read, you know, or not there, there's nothing, up, John. there's nothing outside of the Bible uh, itself that gives right. you Peter. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. So, so that's that's the best way that I can say it. And so, in towards the end of his gospel, like as he's wrapping it up, he says, "You know, there's multiple books that could be written, filled with the things that Jesus did." He's like, "But I'm not here to write all of these things. I'm here to write these speci- like basic me adding some extra commentary, these specific things, so that you will believe and have everlasting life." Mm-hmm. And I was like. Oh crap, man! I was like, "This is a this is this feels so much more." John's gospel feels so much more like somebody who was was really standing there the whole time. Mm-hmm. He he saw it with his own eyes, and he's telling you this. I'm telling you so that you will believe and have everlasting life. And I was like, Whew. "Well." I gotta take your word for it, man, because you were there, and I can and I can feel it in your word choice, in your sentence structure, and what you chose to emphasize, and the divinity of Christ is emphasized throughout all of that. Yeah, and the power of Christ, like you said, the way that He laid it down, like there was no, there was no point where Christ was a victim in this world. Like He was on His mission, and He did what He came to do. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't an accident. He didn't fall into fulfilling the will of God. Like it was intentional, purposeful and, and directional the whole time, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I really like that gospel. So definitely. And you can tell too, there's also, he has kind of the benefit of distance in a way that the other gospel writers didn't. Again, because of when he's writing and his ability to see what's happened since. In is John, he, is he writing it on the island, or is he writing it after, before then? I'm not totally sure, honestly. Okay, okay. Like, I'm not. Okay. I'm not real clear on that. Like I, because either way, he wasn't writing it like the day after, right? Yeah. And it, okay. but it's also it's one of those things too, though, where you can see it a little bit in terms of. He is like even that passage you were talking about where he's spelling out like, look, no, no, there's a ton more that I could say. There is. Absolutely. But that's not the point. My point isn't to try and write it all down. I'm writing this to provide you with enough evidence that you may know and come to believe. It's like, okay, yeah, that that perspective carries with it an understanding that not all of the apostles had right away. You know, there was Mm. in the early days of the church a confidence that when Jesus said he was coming back, like it was going to be quick. Yeah, it was like next week. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so and you can kind of see this progression as well in terms of when you look at Mark's gospel, how short it is. It's like it's bare bones. It's like, look, here is the basics. This is what you need. Let's go. And then as a little bit more time passes, you see Matthew and Luke putting some more flesh on it, going a little more in depth on some of the things. But even then, 
there's kind of this sense uh and i love it i love when you see things like you know and if you've got questions about this feel free like paul does the same thing if you've got questions about what i'm saying here's a list of names go talk to these people like mm-hmm. there's not there there is a very real sense in which they are building something to last forever but they don't think forever is going to be very long if that makes sense mm. like yeah they're building they're trying to build a community of believers to the ends of the earth as christ commanded and they want it to be something that lasts forever but they're thinking that like in a couple weeks jesus is yeah. going to come back and take the the believers with him john gets to see the number of people who like actually walked with jesus dwindling john Mm. takes christ's mother into his home takes mary into his home and is like undoubtedly like i can't imagine that there's anything else he and mary would want to talk about (laughs) other than christ (laughs) like can you like just think about that for one second like the person who you admire most in this life, even on just a purely human level, like not even talking about the idea of it being Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. they have to go away. And they're like, Hey, I need you to take care of my mom for me for a while. Like, what are you going to do? You are going to be yeah. pumping her for stories. I want to know, tell me about right. this kid. Like, right. I, I want to know everything about him before I knew him. And at the same time as his mother, what is Mary going to want to talk about more than her beloved son, her everything. Right. Yeah, like, no, you're right. And so there's just, there's so much perspective that shifts from him where you can see he is, he's being very intentional about this. He's like, you know what? No, mm-hmm. we can't leave ambiguity here. Like, again, he's got the advantage. This part, I can see people understand clearly. Here's what we need more clarification on. And we need this more clarification because I have no idea how long Jesus is giving us to build his church here on earth, but I know it needs mm. to be built and I know it still needs to be standing. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's interesting because like, I, I, I think of Paul too. Paul seems in a lot of his writings, he really seems to be, he's writing as though like, Hey, like this is tomorrow. Like you need to be ready. Mm-hmm. Like, like Christ might actually come back tomorrow, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes it's hard to tell if he's, if he's saying, you know, be diligent as, you know, Christ tells the story to, you know, like the watcher over the overnight, you know, all of the different analogies throughout the Bible for mm-hmm. the watchers. But, you know, like when Paul writes about it, I mean, he's, he's really seems like he's expecting at any moment, Jesus will, will be coming, coming down. And, there he is, you know, but then um, it's interesting that you say that, too, because then, you know, we go on and, and not to skip over the letters of John, which I, I I thoroughly enjoy. But to to piggyback on that, John also is the writer of Revelation. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, yeah, they're building this church now, you know, like they go off into the desert. They they build this kind of separate theocracy almost. And then, you know, everything happens. You know, Paul happens, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, all these things go on. So all of this history and we got, you know, John is is still engaging everybody. Uh, he's still engaging heretics. He, he's driving the divinity of Christ. And he's a rabble rouser now because we have an emperor. And, and they put him on an island. And at that point, like, he, he then gets the vision for the future of the church of what that actually means. And it's very prophetic. It's very, mm-hmm. it's wild. I'm not even going to lie, yeah. but it's, it's also the story that got me interested in the Bible. Cause I was like horsemen with swords. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's the Bible I want to read. <laughs> uh, and so I remember sitting in mass bored out of my mind, reading revelation because there was the four horsemen and all of this crazy stuff happening. Yeah. And, and so it's it it's an interesting perspective that you said because again we do get to see so much of his his progress we get to see him young and just passionately in love with Christ and then we get to see him mentoring in the letters kind of mentoring a pastor 
right? Mm-hmm. Like the John, the letters of John is to, um, they're they're like to the, they're to a pastor, right? Like to somebody leading a church. Yeah. So like um, they're, so they're to the crap, church I mean, in general, but like there oh, is, okay. I believe it's. Um, so I know Polycarp is in his line. I can't remember if Polycarp was the immediate after or. But anyway, yeah. Okay. Like so, John. But yeah, but I mean, the, the development stage. Like he's writing about the church in development at that point, you know, and then he gets to write about the church in the future. So yeah. you really see, you know, past, present, future with John that you don't get to see with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you know, the future that he writes about is very different than I think what they they were expecting initially. And the only way that he could do that is one. He would have experienced it all, and then two prophetic vision. It, that's going to shake you up, right? Yeah. Like you're, you're not going to just like imagine prophetic vision. Like there's, you know, we can have all the creative stories that we want, but like that doesn't, that doesn't just come out of nowhere usually. So no, absolutely. And I think, like with the Book of Revelation, you're right. Like it is phenomenal and interesting, and there's a lot going on there. There is a lot prophetic. There is a lot. Um, almost like a continuation of letters as well with the, the letters to the different churches, mm, Yep, yep. you know, but you also have like some incredible liturgical stuff in there as well. Like the description of what worship is, you know, like the, mm. and it, it does, it paints the scene for, um, for those communal liturgies for the people coming together in worship of God enjoying that joining in at the wedding feast of the lamb and all of this. And so there's a ton going on in there. And I think it's really just so incredibly fascinating the way you can see that shift in his perspective too. Like there, there are things that remain constant, you know, like Mm -hmm. the love of God, which is this just kind of continuous theme running throughout John. Yes. Uh, So heavily spelled out in the letters, but also in his gospel where we get things like John 316, perhaps the most famous Bible verse ever, Yep. you know, yep. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Like the idea, there's another part in John, I think it's John 10 and I can't remember the verse now, but I came that they might have life and have it in abundance. Like right. the, the emphasis of John's message, whether we're looking in the gospel, his letters, or in the book of Revelation, is ultimately, again, because Revelation, the wedding feast of the yeah. Lamb. Yeah, you forgot your first love. Yeah, Exactly. And it's this idea of, no, no, no. Forget, forget everything else. But remember this, everything God has done for you has been done out of love. The reason why God has waited longer, why Christ hasn't come back yet, the reason why he's waiting is because there's more of you to be saved than are ready to accept Mm. him now. Mm. And that's why he's waiting. And like this perspective Mm. of that love and um, the importance of that as the central tenant from which everything else flows yeah. It's not unique to John, but it's expressed uniquely in John. Yeah, I I actually kind of want to dig into that a little bit because um, we've all we're we're excited, so we're doing really well on time. We've we've covered a lot of stuff in a short period of time, so I want to take this opportunity to dig into it Let's because it. that is one of the things that in John's gospel. So I've been thinking about this for a while, and and though. You know, our our God is a Trinity, and so in in most of nature, things are not singularities, right? We tend to operate in in threes, uh, in my experience. And so, like, to bring anything into like a single one thing is to to ignore a vast majority. But there's so much of the stuff that John frames it where it's like like three sixteen, like said for for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten, you know, like mm-hmm. there's this, there seems to be this order in where, or, or, and it's not, I don't think it's wrong, but I think it's incomplete in which we say, you know, Jesus 
came and died for your sins so that you could be in heaven. You know, like it's, it's a very humanistic thing that Jesus would do this for us. Like we are the most important thing in that equation. So there's this God, there's Jesus, and there's us humans. And in that equation there, the human is the most important thing. It's the treasure mm. in which the blood of Christ was spilled for. It, it is the, it's the important thing. It's the treasure. But in, in John's gospel, it's kind of flipped where God is the treasure and Jesus Christ is dying so that God can have what he wants, which is us humans. And so like there's this, this I've been wrestling with this. And, and though I know that Jesus then shares the nature with God. And so Jesus does have the same love for us that God the Father would have for us. But... You know, like on the mountain where he says, if this cup could be passed from me, like I would, I would rather not do this, you know, <laughs> but, but it's not, it's, that's again, multidimensional, but Jesus is, is, is doing this for God first, right? And then there is also, because he is, I, I think because he's part of the Trinity, he's also doing it for us, probably equally as he is equal with the father. But like a lot of the, the, in that gospel, there seems to be this order that is different than our current order which is god is the treasure jesus is doing it for god and it's because god the father loves us that much so it doesn't take anything away from the fact that god loves us that much that he would send christ or that christ would come and even if there was one of us i still believe christ would still come for us because he loves each individual as much as he loves the collective but there does that make sense where there's kind of like a it's a it's the same I think at the after the equal sign, mm-hmm. I think it's the same number, but I think the order of operations is different. Well, if that makes sense, and it, I think it does. Like so, trying to process a little bit in terms of what you're saying, I think, I think what we're looking at is again that idea of John is coming at things from a different perspective. What I would say is that from the human perspective. God is the treasure which we desire. From God's perspective, humanity is the treasure which he desires to be with him. But even that he desires for our sake, not his. Because I think we want to be careful. We don't want to make it sound like uh, the father sent the son because in some way the father is this like needy, lonely deity up there bored out of his mind without us. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. And I think... I think part of what it comes down to is that when we talk about the idea of why Jesus came, ultimately it is for our sake. Because again, the Trinity is fine without us. I mean, it's, it's kind of a brutal way to phrase things. It's not their, right. it's not their preference. We weren't created for destruction. We were created to share in their love and joy for eternity to like actually enter into and participate in the Trinity. Um, But I think what we see in like that idea of Christ saying, you know, if this cup can pass from me, it's like, is there another way we could do this? You know, like I know for a fact that in the future, there are going to be theologians talking about the idea that like a single drop of my blood would be sufficient. Can we just do that one? Right. Uh, But I think in terms of that, I think what it really comes down to is that the reason we're the treasure is because we're the variable. Like that, that's why the focus gets put on us. God and his love is constant. Christ and his relationship with the father is constant. Like those are not in flux. And so there's right. a tendency for the focus to come onto us because we're the part of the equation that can change. We're the part that's unstable. And so it's not, I, that's, it's not yeah. our importance that goes up or down. But I think, I, and again, I think because in the synoptic gospels, there is such a clear focus on Jesus having come for us that, uh, John is making it clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. He he's coming for us. It's for our sake. 
but don't get this twisted. It's him and his father. Like he, that relationship is first the one between God, the father and God, the son and God, the Holy spirit, that relationship comes before their relationship with us, not only in sequence, but also in priority. If that's not there, then there's nothing for us to be invited into. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I like what you say. I like the variable description, like that, that analogy there, because yeah, just what I've been thinking about is, you know, like this, the, the, the human is like, we are, I don't know how to use these big words. So like, I, I'm going to sound stupid, but nah, nah, we're good. like, I feel like we're like post humanism, right? Like humanism came and, and said, no, the center of the world is not God. The center of the world is humans. Mm-hmm. And so that we've made the sacrifice of Christ, not about God and his glory, but about so that humans can be happy. Mm. Does that, yes. does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And so, so, and so I get that a lot more clearly now. Now I understand. And, and so when I see that, you know, like, the the order in which John seems to communicate it a lot, it's that, like you said, the Trinity is fine, right? Mm-hmm. So so why so why change, why why step into humanity if you're fine? Why change, other than the fact that God the Father wants His creation returned to Him, mm-hmm. and because Jesus loves the Father so much, He would change, He would enter into time and space, you know, humanity mm-hmm. to pull the, the, the curtain back and return the, the treasure of, of God, the father back to him. And, and meaning that God, the father is the treasure or he's the reason why, like the happiness of God, the father, the glory of God, the father is the treasure of Christ. And so he's willing to do these things. And again, this is, I, I feel bad because I don't want to take away from the fact that I do think that there's a, the other side of the coin in which Christ himself does in fact love us individual, like loves us and would do it for us as well. Right. So like, I, 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 I think it's two, I think it's two sides of a coin, but I feel like we tend to forget the one side yes. where Christ's initial response is to God, the father, not to the importance of humanity. And I think, I think part of the struggle with the phrasing on it, because I, I agree with what you're saying that like both of those are absolutely true and absolutely necessary. Like, yes, it's not, Jesus doesn't begrudgingly save us because he knows it'll make God, the father happy. He right. does love us and desire our salvation himself as well. And would have died right. even to save a single one of us. Right. But I agree that we lose sight of the fact that even that love for us is like the overflow of that superfluous love of the Trinity, that exchange of love between those persons, which flows out and washes over us. And I think part of the difficulty is we as human beings have a very hard time discussing two things without ranking them. Hmm. Truth. Like we, well, yes. we, we have yes. a really difficult time because even two things that are completely and totally in harmony in our minds, because our entire existence is within this like fallen state. It's like, okay, yeah, things, these two things are in harmony for now, but what happens if they're not, then which one becomes the priority? And, mm. and that's a human approach to it. Whereas God, yeah, the entire Trinity, they're not limited by that. They don't have that. They know the reality that the love that Christ's love for us and the love for his father will never be in conflict. Right. Like it is Mm, literally impossible for them to be opposed to each other. And so we sit here and we're like, well now, but wait, if, if Jesus had to pick one, which would he pick? It's like, Hey, maybe we could stop being stupid for a second (laughs) and just acknowledge that God in his infinite wisdom and knowledge knows that that's not an issue. You know, it, it kind of, because if we keep picking at it, trying to find an answer for which of the two would Jesus prioritize if they were opposed, we are doing a slightly more sophisticated and only very slightly more sophisticated version of that 
gotcha question that every junior high and high school student comes up with. Mm-hmm. Could God create yep. a rock so heavy that he couldn't lift it? <laughs> like, it, no, because that is, uh, to borrow a quote from G.K. Chesterton, we're getting back on track. I'm bringing him up more and more often. <laughs> Nonsense doesn't become sense simply because we say, in God, at the end of our statement. <laughs> right, right. And so, like, this idea of two things that by their very nature must perpetually be in harmony, like what is for our good is the plan of God the Father. And so to ask, okay, so what if Jesus had to choose between our good or the plan of his Father, which would he pick? It's like, no, no, idiot. They're the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, understanding mm-hmm. the perspective of both sides of why this is so important is great and is well worth doing, but we have to not fall into that human trap of setting them up as As possible contradictions. Yeah. I, I think that's right. And I think that we have a tendency to favor, like culturally favor the, the, the happy bunny Christianity Mm -hmm. of come to Jesus so that you can go to heaven. And, and so we don't f- always, and I, and I think that's what I'm responding to. Yeah, in my in my gut is the the you're not flipping the coin, you're keeping it on yourself because again, and, and I'm I'm still just freaking rocked with this Judas Peter <laughs> freaking analogy, man. Like well, again, it just, it's only been it, three days. It has just <laughs> it has only been three days, but it's just like it's it's just just doing it to me, man, and and you can't just look at one side of something like mm-hmm. there's there's you you got to look at you got to flip the coin over and see what's there too because the it's still truth and the the coin is still there and the value hasn't changed but you're only focusing if you only focus on one side and you only have half the value and if you're focused only on yourself as as you said with Judas like he, we can't look up from our own selves mm-hmm to see Christ, to cry out for him, to, to go to him, if we can't look up from our own selves, if we can't take ourselves out of the center of that equation to realize these things, which is what the other side of the coin says, um, then we, we don't have balance. We have this weird form of God serves us instead of us serving God. And we and, also lose and, sight of, like, again, to, to say that you love something would require attempting to know all that it's possible to know about it. And so if you're going to say that you love God or that you love Christ, but you're only going to look at this aspect of it and like bringing it kind of full circle, I think it ties back in very strongly with what we were talking about, about the idea of Jesus fashioning the whip. Like what's important for us to remember when Jesus is fashioning that whip is that he's not doing that to like prove a point. He's doing that because that is the loving response to what he's seeing in front of him at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so for us to pretend that, you know, well, yeah, no, I love Jesus, but I love him because he lets me do whatever I want and he loves me no matter what I do. It's like, okay, no, that, that there's truth in that. He loves you no matter what you do. That's absolutely accurate. But you can't ignore the other side of that coin which is his love for you will cause him at times to flip a table, make a whip and take it to you. Like he knows he's got to do what is best for you. And he does it in accordance with his father's plan at all times, because there is no good for us apart from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, love it. That's fantastic. It's been a good week of conversations, brother. (laughs) I tell you what, man, like I, I'm really digging this stuff, man. I, I, cause again, like the, the, like I've been reading the Bible forever, but I, I, until I start talking about it, you know, like it brings it to life and then I go back into it and you're like, holy crap, there's so many more layers. It's Mm -hmm. just like. I'm not going to say onions because nobody likes onions. It's like parfait, man. I get past the granola <laughs> yes, and then you got strawberries and then you got blueberries. It just keeps getting better. I knew we were bringing Shrek in as soon as you said onions. <laughs> I wasn't sure which one of us was going to get there, but I was counting on you. 
Oh, so if you were going to wrap this all up into a life lesson, where would you go? You know what? I think for me, I'm going to go to the, the life of John, like his, uh, that stuff we were talking about, like the, the advantage of his years that allowed him Mm. to gain that perspective. Uh, And I think it's important for us to remember that, that we are still in the process of gaining perspective ourselves and that this doesn't invalidate any of the things we've experienced so far, but it does Mm -hmm. mean we need to be open to the fact that there's a lot more depth to the things we've already learned and we've already come to appreciate. We haven't come to appreciate them fully. There's more to come. And so we need to be patient with ourselves and with our situations, both in the good and the bad, to like continue fighting with it, to continue digging into it, but to do so with the knowledge that honestly, time is going to have to pass for us to continue mm-hmm. growing in it. Yeah. And that that's okay. Yes. It's okay for you to change. It's okay for you to be the young one on a foot race trying to beat Peter. You know? like, <laughs> yeah. It's okay for you to be that person because that person is also the one that mentored the church through mm-hmm. tough times. And that person is also the one that wrote the last prophetic book of the Bible. You know, like it's okay to be there. Cause just like we said with Peter, right? Like he was, his eyes were always on Christ. It was okay that he failed. Like Jesus knew that he was going to betray him, mm-hmm. but he also knew that he was going to be the rock. Yep. You know, so it, it's, Jesus knows. Okay. So stay focused on him and you keep, you keep going and, and you let time be on your side. Like time, when you're, when you're properly ordered with Christ, time is a benefit to you. Yes. Not a hindrance. The passing of time means the deepening of your relationship with Christ, which means the, oh. the expansion of wisdom. It means all of those things. It means the hindsight of, of years and experience that you get then get to share with someone else and they then get to stand on your shoulders and go farther mm-hmm. deeper than you ever went mm. you know so i was i was a little jelly you took kind of what i was going to say and then I, I decided you know what no i'm going to stay with that because yep. i think that's really uh like one of the most interesting not most interesting things about john because there's lots of it but but yeah, that that it's okay to change. It's okay to grow. You just you stay ordered with Christ and and you don't have to feel bad about who you were, you know? Yeah, agree. You were young. You grow. We all grow up. Uh, so, amen, man. Love it. Amen. Love it. So, cool. Very cool. All right. With that everybody, we would like to again just remind you that we sell coffee. Our coffee is what supports this podcast. That's how we uh, pay for all the things that we do. And we also do that to try to help you through your day, right? Every once in a while, sometimes you just need a really good cup of coffee uh, to help bring that peace when you cannot always remember it yourself. So uh, with that, jump on the website, inkledo.com. We got our blog there. You can see all the the things that we're writing. Like I'm going to be writing the blog tonight comes out or the podcast will come out next week so this will be for the preview whatever you go to the blog you'll see my you'll see the blog post i'm writing i'm actually going to be writing about the saints like we tend to we're going to go deep on single thoughts around what we're talking about so you know follow along you can get the blog sent directly to you but then there's also the shop where you can order some delicious coffee so we hope you uh connect with us there and with that man you got anything else on your brain not even a little Right on. uh, With that, everybody will say... Adieu. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to another Inkledoo podcast. We hope you really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed making it. If you did enjoy it, please do us a favor and make sure to share it on all your own social media so that other people can find us and enjoy us as well. 